Good morning, church. Uh, good to be with you today. Go and grab a seat. Uh, if I haven't a chance to get to meet you yet, my name is Mark Duncan. I'm the discipleship pastor here at Salem Chapel. If it's your first week here, I'll so say a special welcome to you. We're so glad that you're with us today. I'll also let you know, uh, we are about three weeks in to a new series we started uh, with an unusual name. You may have seen that uh, coming in. It's the word gyra. That's how it's pronounced for those of you that had questions on how to say it. And really what that's going after, it's an Old Testament Bible name describing God's character and his personhood. And what it gets at is, is gyra really meaning that the Lord is my provider. In fact, it's often used in tandem with the, the name Jehovah Jireh, right? The Lord will provide. And last week, uh, Pastor Phil was with us and he illustrated how the Lord provides strength uh, to us in each of our everyday lives. And today we're going to look at the area of direction, so the Lord providing direction. So if you've got a copy of God's Word with you today, go ahead and turn to Psalm chapter 77. Psalms chapter 77 is where we are going to be at today. And just to give some clarity on what we are really pressing into when we talk about direction, because that's honestly a broad topic. Uh, what we're not talking about today or looking at today is uh, sort of this or that kind of uh, prayers of direction that we ask God. Can we go to God and ask him, should I make this decision or should I make that one? Absolutely. God invites us to bring our request to him, all right? But we're not necessarily talking about that kind of direction as far as like, should I go left or right? We're also not talking about sort of a, uh, when God closes a door, he opens a window perspective on direction either. It's a great phrase. It was in the sound of music. Everyone likes it, but it's not in the Bible, okay? <laughs> like, we're, what I mean by that is like, we view open doors as like, those are opportunities that I like that God has put before me, and we view opposition as like some sort of a closed door. I, I kind of wonder uh, if we miss out on many opportunities that God wants to work in life by turning away from opposition, right? God also works through that. We just spent a, a series earlier this spring talking about spiritual warfare. Like, we expect opposition. Like, that's not a, that's not, we shouldn't turn away from that. God invites us to step into that and see how he shows up. So we're not talking about that sort of directional uh, idea as well. Really the question that we want to answer today is how do I receive God's direction, direction he provides, when I've become disoriented by the circumstances in my life? How do I receive God's direction when I've become disoriented by circumstances in my life? And the first half of this chapter that we're going to read in just a second really gets to the heart of the matter. It's a real human being, Asaph, writing this down in the book of Psalms. This song, really the emotions of his heart in a, a period of his life where circumstances are overwhelming to him. And rightfully so, he's coming to God with those. But I just want you to hear the words that he's saying, hear the emotional undertones and the questions that he asks of God and really be honest with yourself, maybe even as you reflected earlier when Greg kind of led us in that moment of, of quiet there at the beginning, like what is pressing on me today just to have that even in the forefront of your mind. So let's read the first nine verses together and just look at this. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. I like that confidence, right? In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. Have that, has that been you before in the past? You've been such in that pit of despair and hopelessness, feeling almost like justified, 
right? That I don't, I don't need to be comforted. Like this, I have every right to feel this way. All right, let's keep reading. When I remember God, I moan. That's not necessarily in the good way. It's like God's there, and yet I still feel like this, right? When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. He's like, I can't even sleep. I'm so troubled, I can't speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago, and I said, let me remember my song in the night. He's a, a singer, right? He's like, just can't even sing. I'm so, so stressed out. Let me meditate my heart. And then my spirit made a diligent search, and this is what he came up with. These were the questions in his heart. Will the Lord spurn forever? Will he never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Do you hear the place where he's at this morning? Do you hear that, that tension in his spirit? Where he, he's looking around, like expecting God to hear him, okay? So he started at the right place. Like, I know I need to take these things to the Lord, but if I'm just being honest, like in the middle of this, even though I know he is who he says he is, I feel, and that's really the operative phrase, I feel hopeless. I feel despairing. You know, so there's some of the emotions in there. I feel anger. I'm refusing to be comforted. Relief is not coming. Can't see my way out of this one. You resonate with that feeling of like disorientation. Like not knowing which way is up, which way is down, where to go from here. You know, I would just say like practically, I think you'd have to like live under a rock. Like in, in our, our current state, you know, start, current state of affairs, the last couple years, as a world, all the things that have happened in our, in our time that we've had to sort of adjust to at the same time. And it can feel very much like this. Maybe that's why those questions have come up in your heart and in your mind, because you felt that. You'd be like, man, what am I going to find out about tomorrow that I'm going to have to process? Like, what new reality am I going to have to absorb? And like, you can get tense and bitter, maybe even angry questioning God, like that, that, that statement he made, has God forgotten to be gracious? What a statement to make, but yet, man, I, I have to say it and be honest, like I think I've felt that way before. Like God, this, like right now, just does not feel great. If you resonated with being disoriented like that, not knowing which word, this is the kind of direction we're talking about. They have an illustration of this. Uh, growing up, I, I had the privilege of being involved with Boy Scouts, I love Boy Scouts. We're outside all the time, camping out, learning how to build fires, you know, tying knots, like every like, young boy's dream, basically, okay? One of the skills that I, have, I most look back on with fondness was what they called orienteering, right? A merit badge for orienteering. And the idea of, of orienteering, and keep in mind, this was before everyone had a GPS in their pocket and walked around with it, is that you would learn how to find, how to get to a new place by using this compass, right? I think I had a picture of one up here on the screen. You have a compass, a little piece of plastic, right, with a little magnetic needle that would inevitably point where? To north, right? Like that was sort of the way that it worked. And what you would do to navigate with the compass is you would have what they called a heading, which is a, nu a numerical number on the side of that dial, and you would turn that to the top, 
And then you would align the north arrow with the marker that's on there that has the arrow. You'd mount, you'd mount, uh, kind of align yourself with the red part of the magnet to the arrow. And that way you knew you were walking in the right direction. And so you would travel, and usually a certain number of steps or paces, you would travel, and then you would get to a new place, and you have a new heading, and then you would adjust to that, and then you would turn and go that way. One of the things that, that we got to do that was a lot of fun uh, for me and a, and a formative experience in my life is we went to uh, a big scout get-together. They called them a jamboree. Like all these scout troops would come, from all over the region, and you would come there and have like a big camp out, and there would always be some kind of competitive element to it, okay? And so this year, there was going to be a competitive uh, navigation course that you would use the compass to, to, to complete. And so I was the patrol leader that particular event, and so I've got my scouts with me, and I'm like, guys, there's no room for second place on this, okay? Like, we are going to mop the floor with these guys. Like, I mean, we grew up in the mountains. A lot of these other scout troops were like from the peaks. So we kind of felt like we had it built in our blood. Like we know how to get around. So we're out there, we've got, our, we've got our compasses and we follow the first few steps of the heading. We're following by the rules. We're turning the compass to the right heading, following the number of paces, counting them out and stopping, finding the new heading that's, that's on our list, going to the next place. We get to about like, I don't know, like number three or number four. They're feeling pretty good about our progress so far, but I'm like, hey, you know what? We gotta shave a little time. You know, it's a timed event. We gotta shave a little time off of this if we really wanna get to the top. So I was like, here's, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna game the system. Like, let's, let's, let's just stop and use logic for a second. Put our compass aside. Like, recognize, like, all right, generally the direction of the next heading is like that way. And like 100 or so paces. So my, my logic was, they probably have chosen some kind of like, tangible object in the distance that represents where I'm supposed to stop. So I'm looking around in that direction I'm like, oh look, if I look down there, I see a large tree and there's an orange ribbon around the tree. And I'm like, perfect, that's gotta be it, right? So we take off to the tree, or we run to the tree, and then we're hurrying through the next few steps. We've got like five more, so we got back our sheet, we got our references and we're going. I didn't realize until we were waist deep in blackberry thorns, at the end of the course that we had made a wrong decision. And then we had to go all the way back to the beginning and start over again. As it turned out, some scoutmaster knew how I thought <laughs> and had intentionally put a decoy on the course just for people like me that tried to break the rules. <laughs> Well, why am I sharing that? See, I became disoriented and lost in a pile of thorns because I got away from using the thing that was my reference point. I no longer was following north. I no longer knew where it was or cared. I just went with what made sense to me. And then after that, every decision I made after that fact was off because I had stepped away from the reference point. I keep using that term. What do I mean? by reference point, that's gonna come up a lot this morning. Let me give a definition of that. A reference point is a standard used to determine the location of another object. Some kind of standard used to determine location. Uh, it, could be, it could be your GPS, right? Like how does, how does GPS work? It communicates with satellites. Satellites are reference points to tell you, like so many satellites tell you, you are here, right? That's how it works. It doesn't matter. If all the satellites fell out of the sky today and you still have your iPhone, it would not help you find where you need to go. It's not going to work, right? There's no reference point. 
If you're, you're driving down the road and you look at road names and you know that you're supposed to turn at this particular road name, that road name is a reference point for you. Even like turning left at the old tree by the red barn is a kind of a reference point, right? Like it's something that has to stay fixed in its location or availability that tells me where I am. That's what a reference point is. The North Star works like that. Moss on the, on the north side of the tree works like that, right? So what are requirements for reliable reference points in my life? Like I said, they must not change their position, even as I change. Have to be accessible from any location, or I can't refer to them. They have to be available at a moment's notice without me preparing or doing anything in advance. And they have to be consistent every time I look to them or I can't trust the information that I receive. So we're taking that back to we're not talking about driving directions anymore, we're talking about my life. How do I find myself disoriented in circumstances of life? It's because, in many cases, I have found reference points in other people, other institutions, other things that are moving and changing even as I am moving and changing. What are some good examples of that? My spouse, my family, my friendships. Yeah, certainly. Would love to say and hope that someone that is my spouse has made a lifelong commitment to the union that we share could be a reliable, fixed reference point in my life. But all of you and I both know that that is not always true. Why? Because we're being honest. When two people get married, I don't care who they are, it's one sinner marrying another sinner. And inevitably, both of them in some way are going to harm the trust that's in that marriage. I don't care who they are. So even that kind of relationship, which, to be honest, is the closest representation of God's relationship to his people, that relationship is not always even reliable. Or family, or that close friend that you grew up with when you were little kids, like even that can change in a heartbeat. What's another reference point? My career, my work identity, my job security. Many of us have changed all of that in the last two years. Some of you like started brand new careers. Some of you had a position or a role in recent years that got removed, whether because like your employer left town or like that skill set was no longer needed anymore. And that, up, that was an upheaval in your life to readjust to new work, right? About personal safety, health, or well-being. I think literally everybody in the world has a different perspective on health and well-being after walking through a pandemic. Like how like dependent were we were on that? Maybe even this year you experienced a change in your physical ability and that's been something that's been really hard for you to grapple with. I used to be able to do these things and I can't now, so where's my worth? What are you doing? That's a reference point, right? Financial status, my income, or the state of the economy. I didn't realize how upset I could get about rising gas prices. <laughs> I'd really check that one and take that one to the Lord, right? Why? Because that's a reference point. I'm like seeing dollars go out of the bank account, and I'm like, wait a second. Do I feel a measure of security by having X number of dollars in my bank account? Should that be true? Should that carry so much weight that when that number isn't what I think it should be, that it rocks my world? What about the, the political strength of my preferred candidates or platforms? 
when those things are not achieving what I think that they should achieve or the person that I think should have the role or shouldn't have the role is not there or is there, how does that impact me? I've seen people that I would have never thought got mad about anything at all. They're like the most gentlest people, like rip someone else a new one on, on the internet over like some kind of political thing. And I'm like, whoa. I mean, I can't get too judgy on that because the reality is like we all have those those spots, those blind spots in our life where we have made something else a reference point, something else a measure that we determine is going to be safe and reliable and secure. Our, maybe our way of life or our philosophy is not going to change, and all of a sudden it does change, and now we have no reference, and that's why anything seems possible, everything seems hopeless, and I don't know how to move. And I would say, if we're being honest, a good deal of us have lived in that reality of not feeling like we've moved in the last two years. In a really practical way, I know that. The passage of time. Ever notice that? Like you start talking about something with your friend, like, wait a second, that was two years ago. Like, what did we do this last two years? Survived? I think we were grappling with the fact that we didn't have as much stability in these other tangible, these other reference points that we thought that we had. And that was revealed. And I know that's true because there are people that used to be a part of this body of, of Christ that are no longer in church. And that's not to sound judgy to them. Just to say the reality is they lost their reference points in the time. And so now they're just kind of floating out there. We are all susceptible to that. Any of those things, losing any of those things, maybe all of those things can leave a person feeling disoriented. And so this is what I believe God has for us today as we go back to Psalm 77. So what I want you to take away is that the Lord, Jehovah Jireh, provides direction when he has become my reference point. Notice I didn't say when he has become a reference point. See, this one hurts me to say because I love the church. But I think even the church can be an unsteady reference point. Because the reality is, while it is, a, it is ordained by God, and by God's grace, given leaders to lead it, these are still people. People like me that fail and make mistakes. That sin. And some of you may be here today because you experienced that firsthand in another church. I pray that you're not here and you feel like you've experienced it here. We need to talk about that. Like that might be your reality. I've lived that. I've lived that reality. Even the church can be uncertain in that sense. But God provides direction when he is my reference point. So what I'm going to give you today is four aspects, really four realities of God's, God's character that are reference points that you and I can look, look to when we are disoriented by the circumstances of life. All right, so go to verse number 10. Remember, he sort of has laid out his case before the Lord, all of the emotions of it, and then he arrives rightly at the, at the right conclusion here, verse 10. Then he says, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. I, yes, I will remember your wonders of, as of old. So that first reference point is that I can experience the Lord's direction by recounting his 
history, by recounting his history. Now, I'm not gonna spend a ton of time on this one because Pastor Phil did a great job of laying this out last week. But I do want to like, just highlight the fact that he addresses him in verse 10. He says, I will appeal to this factor, the years of the right hand of the Most High. The years. You know, one of my favorite names for God in the Bible is Yes, I like Jehovah Jireh and all that that means, but one of my favorite ones that really puts this in perspective is what Daniel calls when he calls him the Ancient of Days. The Ancient of Days. Now, I pray by God's grace, I live a long life and have many years. But let's say I live to 100 years old and then I die. Guess what? 100 years old is not ancient compared to God. Eternal without start, without end. And not only that, but consistently the same across hundreds and thousands of years, right? Always the same, never changing. I think about how many times I've changed as a person over the last 41 years. A lot of change in there. A lot of opinions have shifted, right? God has been unchanging in all of that time. In the ancient of days, there's nothing that, God has always literally been at his best throughout all of history. It's not like he's getting better. Like he's always been at the top through all of that time. That's what the author means when he says, I'm gonna appeal to that. Instead of appealing to this moment that I feel and that I live in, which again, that operative word, feel, that moment that I'm feeling strong in, I'm not gonna appeal to that. I'm gonna appeal to the years of God's faithfulness that I can look at. Numbers 23 says this, God is not man that he would lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Is that not true, church? If God says it, will he do it? Man, that was weak. If God said it, will he do it? Or has he spoken, will he not fulfill it? If God says it, he'll do it. It's not something you have to guess or hope will happen. It's always going to carry out that way because he is the ancient of days. And before my stint in ministry, my job before that was in IT, and one, I program, did programming languages for part of that time, and one of the most simple programming statements that you can make is what's called an if-then statement, right? It's like, if this factor is true, or if this action happens, then perform this action. Like it's very basic in that sense. That's how God works too. If God has said it, then he will accomplish it. If God was like this at the beginning, then God will be like this now. He doesn't change. We change. We move. He stays in the same place. He's fixed as a reference point. That's why he's reliable. So I don't have to wonder if God has changed his mind about me later because these set of circumstances happened in my life. I don't have to wonder if God's like, you know what? I know Jesus died for you, but you really haven't lived in a way that really seems like you appreciate that, so I'm just gonna like take that back. Man, I'm glad it didn't work that way. He stays the same. What does he say as I appeal to? What am I gonna do? Verse 11, I'm gonna remember his deeds. I'm gonna remember his deeds. Certainly, the Bible is a written like, book for us of recounting and a record of God's deeds. 
Hopefully you don't just feel that's just a, re- a record of God's deeds that he did for other people. But then you even recognize, like, that tells me about God's love for me. These are things that God has done for me. God sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sins so I could be restored to him. This is my story as well that's here. Those are God's deeds. But I hope even beyond that, set that aside for a moment as if that was some small thing. Can you also look, though, personally at your life and identify specific ways that God provided, that God was faithful in your life? I'll challenge you with something. I don't know if anyone's going to do this. I hope someone does. I challenge the first service with this. I want you to take a half hour sometime this week, maybe over lunch break, maybe before you, like before you finish quiet time in the morning, whatever, take a half hour. This might be a challenge. I want you to take a piece of paper Take a pen. I just want you to think about the last 12 months. I want you to write down things that God did that you saw him working in your life. It might be big things. It might be everyday things. And I want you to write it down. And I bet not a one of you, when you do that, if you do that, will not come back with a full sheet of things. And you probably wrote on the back. Problem is, is, is not that God is not working and doing stuff and being faithful. A lot of times it's I'm not paying attention to what's behind because I'm only focused on what's next. Right? Isn't that how you are? We don't spend a lot of time looking in the rearview mirror of God's faithfulness. We're just begging him to be faithful on this next thing that feels very urgent right now. Why is that problematic? It's like thankfully God is not like upset and smacks me around because I'm not grateful for that. But the reality is we don't lose, we, we, our confidence just goes out the window immediately as soon as the next challenge is for us. We forget. Oh, wait, you already did all of these things. Like, I can, I can be at rest. I don't have to, like, be freaking out right now because of these things in my life because you've already proven faithful. So why should I assume the ancient of days would not continue to be faithful in this situation? I dare you to make a list. I dare to make a list of what he says. We have to look back and what God's done to have the confidence to look ahead. That's just reality. That's a reference point, what he has done. This is the next one. I can experience the Lord's direction by recalling his motives. By recalling his motives. Going to verse 12, it says, I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. You should underline that statement. Your way, O oh God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You, with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. You struggle to make that statement to God about his way when it intersects with your life, to say that your way is holy. Or maybe you look at your life and you're like, my life feels like anything but holy. And when we talk about holy, what we mean by that is God is blameless in what he does. He's blameless in what he calls me to do and calls me to do. He's blameless even over the things that happen in my life that are there because of sin and my selfishness and because of what other people have done to me. He is holy or set apart and blameless from those things. But man, I feel like that's not always true in my current experience. I don't feel like that that's holy. It feels hurtful. It feels unjust. 
And so that's why the author's saying here, I, I, need, to, I need to ponder and meditate on this. Right? I need to analyze this. I don't need to just ask, like, what have you done? I need a reference point that reminds me of why you do what you do. Because that's just as important. I need to know your motives. I need to know what your plan really is. God doesn't have it like a secret plan hiding, like in the back. Like he's gonna like surprise you with it, like, bam, that's your, that's your plan. Like certainly, like we don't know what necessarily what's happening tomorrow and the day after that. And maybe 10 years from now, you may look back and like, I never saw that coming. Like that's true. That's part of the fact that we can only live in the day that we're in, which is by God's grace, thankfully. But at the same point, like God doesn't have like a sinister evil plot that he's just waiting to spring upon you. He tells you exactly what his plan is because he's been doing the same plan since the beginning. He mentions it there in the passage in verse 15. You've redeemed your people. When God stepped back into the garden after Adam and Eve's sin in Genesis 3 and proclaimed that the, that the seed of the woman would come and crush the head of the serpent, by extension, sin and death forever, that promise that Jesus would come later, in Genesis, that was for you every bit as much as it was for Adam and Eve. He's always been about taking the broken things that he didn't break and restoring them and making beautiful things. That's why it's holy. That's why it's holy. You have to look at it from the, from the comprehension that God does not just want to redeem your soul or the spiritual part of you, but his plan is to redeem the whole person. Like we live in this tension though like knowing that Jesus on the cross said those three words that we're all familiar with, it is finished. In that moment, like the statement, like sin is atoned for, sin is covered, there is salvation. We live in the tension of the fact that we're in that, we're between that zone and then the zone when Jesus comes back and he makes another declaration when she says, now it has come to be. In other words, the whole person has been redeemed. So we struggle sometimes to see how that can be holy. Because our emotions are betraying that, are trying to draw us to other reference points. And God is calling me back to look and see, like, what I do, I do, because I am holy, because I'm making you holy too. Day by day, piece by piece, as you trust me, as you follow me, I'm transforming you. I don't just want the, the immaterial part of you. I want the whole thing. You won't know what God's plan is for you? That's it. To see you become who you were always created to be. And someday, if your faith and trust is in Jesus Christ, that will be a reality for you. But in the middle, like we need to remember something. Isaiah 55 sums it up the best when he, God says, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. So are my thoughts than your thoughts. God's not saying that with sarcasm. As we complain and bring our stress to him, think, like, why can't you just hang on there? Like, you're just so simple-minded, you can't see how this is working out. I've never read that God talks to us that way. But he is trying to give us a perspective there in that reference point of like, yes, there's a measure 
Like you need to recognize this is my game plan and also recognize that the way that I go about doing redemption is so much bigger and broader than what you're able to perceive in the moment. You may not be able to see all the outcomes of what's happening in this moment, but God's asking you to trust his motives. Do you trust his motives this morning? See, when I recall his motives and I bring that to mind when I'm swirling again and again, I'm thinking about what he's done and then I'm thinking about why he's doing it. He's redeeming me. When I'm bringing that to mind, that's when I can move forward trusting his intentions. Whatever it is I face today falls in line with his faithfulness of all time and his motives of redeeming me. That, those are reference points so I can step forward. I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to be hesitant. I can walk confident into that. I can accept that I am a work in progress. And I need a lot of work. But by one day, he's going to finish that work. Because he's holy. And you make a statement like this, which this is a, maybe a difficult statement to make, but I challenge you to pray about it. Can you say this statement? That what leads, whatever leads to my restoration under God's sovereign control and power is holy. Whatever leads to my restoration is holy. Not because of me, but because of the one who's doing the restoring. Do you agree with that today? I won't ask you to answer it because you don't have to chew on that one, right? Whatever God brings before me because of his intentions for my transformation is holy because God makes it so. All right, here's the third one. I promise we're wrapping up here. I can experience the Lord's direction by remembering his power. His powers, to give a little bit of background, it kind of changes direction a little bit and starts referencing something that's very familiar to the audience at the time of reading and singing this psalm, the history of the Exodus, as God's people who were slaves to the Egyptians, after hundreds of years, he brought them out of Egypt behind Moses as leader, and bringing them to the promised land was the goal, right? And so he leads them, like, like literally right after they got out of Egypt, God tells them to camp by the Red Sea. And of course, when Pharaoh saw that, he saw an amazing opportunity. Oh, look, they're stuck. They can't go anywhere. Let's go back and get them. All right, so they take off. And then you have the Hebrew children right there by the Red Sea in full-on panic mode because all they see ahead of them is water and all they see behind them is destruction. You feel like that. Some of you feel like that right now. That's what you feel like. You're like I see, it's like I'm between a rock and a hard place. There's, like, there's, no, front, there's no way to go. I can't go anywhere. All right, you need to hear this. That's you. You need to hear, you need to hear this. So in that context, verse 16, when the waters saw you, O God, and he repeats it for emphasis, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. They were afraid. They moved out of the way. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. 
The crash of your thunder was in the world when your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Underline this, your way was through the sea. Your way was through the sea. Your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. God's way was through the sea. That was not the backup plan. The Red Sea plan, parting the waters, was not the, oh no, I should have directed them elsewhere. They got stuck, so I'm going to have to do something miraculous, I guess. The Red Sea was the A plan. That was God's way through. We need to recognize like, the emotions of the, the Hebrews in that moment. This is from Exodus 14. This is what they said to Moses at that very moment. Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What an amazing question. What have you done to us bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you? Leave us alone. We'll serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians to die in the wilderness. What a statement. We would have much preferred to be slaves. And Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm, see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see to get today, you will never see again. And then he says this, and I'll paraphrase in a second. The Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent. The 2022 version of that statement is, shut up and watch him work. Be quiet. Watch what he does. The way, God's way, was through the water. That was the plan. You may feel like you are up against the sea. Certain destruction in every direction that you look. There's no clear way out of this. But what you are doing and what I often do all too often is discount the power of God in the moments of my life. We do not take account what he is capable of when we let the circumstances drive our attention away from him as a reference point. All we look at is what we have brought to the table. And what we have brought to the table is a sea and an army. It is no small thing to discount the power of God it's also no small thing to assume that God doesn't work that way anymore. Something we have in our home, I'm trying to challenge and model for my children and remind myself in is that in our house we pray God-sized prayers. I'm not trying to sound cliche, but it's like, I believe that God has more for us than just to have a good day tomorrow or to get to go to the pool, and the weather would be nice. I'm not shaming my children's prayers. I'm just saying. He's capable of so much more than I can ask or imagine. But I don't live like I believe that he can change it. I don't live like I have a reference point for a God that can part a sea. That's because I forget that it was God that made the sea. That's why the waters were afraid of him. They moved out of the way because even the water, even the water knew its place before God's power. 
And some of you have had very real personal experience with witnessing the power of God in your life when you were in this moment, maybe on your floor, in hopeless desperation, and you just cried out and said, maybe just a simple two-word prayer, God, help. You didn't have a solution. You didn't know how to offer. You just said, you got to do something, and you prayed sincerely, and you saw God respond in a way that you never, never expected. And there are also some of us who have not experienced that, often because we never even assume that God wants to do something about it. We don't look for God to show up. We look for what we, what we can bring, and maybe a handful of us in this room have actually had a lot of success just making it through my life, checking off all the boxes with no major opposition, so it feels like I'm pretty strong. I'm controlling my destiny. And we're missing out on the reality that everything is under God's power and authority. And we get to have relationship with him. What do I mean by that? Really, I'm going to speak some truths over us this morning. As it comes to God's power, that means that God's power, God's power is in no way diminished in the face of a pandemic. Because COVID is under God's power and authority. It means that God's power has not diminished in the face of the threat of worldwide war. Because Vladimir Putin is under God's power and authority. God's power is not diminished in the face of economic turmoil. Gas prices are even under God's power and authority. And God's power has not diminished in the face of political or legislative whiplash because all elected officials are under God's power and authority. One of my favorite verses in Proverbs where it says that God holds the heart of the king in his hand like the, river, like the waters of a river. And he turns it whichever way that he wants. You know my political philosophy? It's that. Nothing is outside of the power of God to affect whatever change he desires. And it's not going to contradict, though, the way that he has said that is holy and that he is transforming me. And so God continues to operate the same way, redeeming the whole person, but he's going to do it in his way and in his strength. And you and I are invited to live in reality the fact that we have a relationship with Almighty God and we have access to that power. And that I can believe that he can do the unthinkable and the unbelievable more than I can ask or imagine. And I can see that. And that's just going to be another chapter in that long run in history of God's faithfulness in my life. Do you remember that today? Do you remember his power? So when I remember that, it also makes me intricately aware of how little power that I have. And my sarcastic interpretation aside, I believe that's what Moses was trying to get at when he's like, shut up and watch God work. Test him. Put him to the test. See what he does. See, when I rely on his power, I can move, depending on him to come through. That's what faith is. I don't know how. I don't know when. I don't know all the specifics. I just know that he is the one that holds all the keys. And so I'm going to go there. I'm going to go to him, 
and I'm going to wait and see what he does. That's a reference point. This is the last one today, and we're finishing up. I can experience the Lord's direction by receiving his leadership, receiving his leadership. Verse 20, you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Like a flock. How does a shepherd lead a flock? It's not like your boss on the West Coast that does weekly Zoom check-ins with you, like remote management. And sometimes we feel like God is like that. Like he's got to check in on me on Sundays and I'll catch him next week. No, like a shepherd, like a flock, he walks among me. And that's the whole point. That's why he sent Jesus, God in flesh, God incarnate to live and dwell among us. The tabernacle in the Old Testament was representative of that reality. It was right there in the middle of the camp. God says, I'm not just gonna, this, I'm not gonna be this God that's detached from what's happening in your day-to-day life and only concerned about quote-unquote spiritual matters. I'm gonna be right there beside of you when you are faced with the challenge tomorrow to doubt everything that was said today. When you, are, when you are faced with the realities, I know these are reference points, and yet I'm going to functionally reject those and put them right back over here on this thing that's going to change. He's like, I will be right there beside you even in that. And the greatest example of that reality was Jesus. That's why there's no mistake that Jesus said in John 10, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd will lay his life down for the sheep. He also said, my sheep hear my voice, and they know me, and I know them. It's very tempting to look at all of the things that are swirling in our lives and feel, one, like completely powerless and disoriented, but I think also to feel incredibly insignificant in the reality of it. I'm just one person. All of these other people are hurting too. And what you need to hear in this moment is that promise of God's presence to lead us like a flock applies to you personally too. He knows his sheep because he is among his sheep. And this is what they're all grappling with, all in the personal, individual levels. It might be something that was not even closely touched on today, something else that you walked in here with. God meets you in that circumstance as well. And he's still calling you, refuse, refuse the urge to make a reference point for how to navigate that off of something that's gonna change. Put it on me. Let me lead you like a flock. You know what sheep don't have to do? They don't have to worry about where their next meal is coming from. They don't have to worry about the wolves. They don't have to worry about finding water. They don't have to worry about where they're gonna go tomorrow for pasture or next month or 10 years from now. Why? Because they're just following the shepherd. And that's what this means. When we talk about Jehovah Jireh providing direction, It's not specific steps, like on your GPS of turn left here, turn right here, go 100 feet, go around the roundabout. It is, I'm going this way, come with me. And just keep your eyes on me 
And then you will have the wisdom and discernment to know how to go the way that I'm going. One, because I'm incredibly predictable. I've been doing it a long time. I've got the power to do whatever needs to be done. And I'm doing it all for you. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes for a second as we finish. It's been a long time since I picked up a Boy Scout compass and tried to find my way around. But these four reference points that I gave you today, those are how I have lived. It's how I am living. Not perfect at it. Those are reference points that I've had to reach out to and grab onto as if my life depended upon it. Because all the other things were washing away. All the other things were changing. Those four realities have never changed. That's why I'm here today. I want to ask you, which of these things do you need to remember this week? Do you need to remember what God has done? Take a moment to celebrate that. Take a moment to analyze that. You need to remember God's motives to you. It may feel hard. It may feel hard, but if God is in it, it's holy. Where can you look for God's power this week? In what feels like a hopeless situation, where can you say, God, work? I'll be quiet. You do the heavy lifting and let him lead you like a shepherd. God, we thank you for the truth of who you are. We thank you that you have represented that to us, God, through first and foremost, your son, and also in your word. Pray today this would not just be something that we think on for a moment, but God, that it actually like, really can like, ask ourselves the tough questions, like what am I holding on to to navigate this season in my life? And help us to look to you as our reference point even today. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.